We have been going through a series in the book of Joshua where we've looked at this, this idea of what it looks like to go from one place to another, right? Pretty simple idea, going from point A to point B. But what does it look like for us to go from point A to point B in the middle of, of what almost always is a difficult transition? Uh, there, there are very few transitions in life that are easy. I remember uh, when my wife and I, were, well, when my wife was about to have our first, we, we took, a, I was just there for the ride. Um, we took a, a class about babies and, you know, you have to feed them and clothe them and they poop and so just kind of the mechanics of, of babies, uh, but it also talked about labor and kind of the stages of labor, like the first stage where you're just kind of feeling things, and, and this is all theoretical for me, and I recognize that, and to those who have had children, God bless you, you are a warrior, um, and, but I remember the stage that goes from we're preparing to this baby's going to come here, they call it, does anyone know? Transition. And that's, that's the moment where, like up to this point, the, 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 the mother is, is, is on it, in it to win it, but this is the moment where many, many mothers go, you know what, there's got to be a different way to do this. Um, I, I just, just kidding, I want the epidural, I know I said it, I want a natural, I want whatever will make this moment not be a moment. It's, and they call it what? They call it Transition. It's, it's a bit like when the doctors say, you, you're going to feel some pressure. And you're like, I don't think that's what you mean. And just because you call it pressure doesn't mean, like, no one's putting a, just, just a little pressure. But transition can feel a bit like a little bit of pressure in our lives. But the thing about it is, is God uses these moments to establish things in our souls, to establish things in us as a people, and to, to really draw out things in us that he wants to address. And so we've been talking about what that looks like. How do we go through transitions in a way that recognizes the sovereignty of God? How do we go through a transition in such a way that we can say at the end, you know what, you're right, God is good. God is great. How do we go through transitions well? And so we've, we've been looking at Joshua and, and the, the Israelites going from a place of coming out of slavery to Egypt, going through the wilderness, losing a generation of people, and finally coming right up to the Jordan. We talked about how God brought them from the place of being outside the promise to now being in the promised land. We, we talked about how God has brought us up to this point, and he has a call for our life that we ought to obey, but he's got promises that accompany that call that empower us to obey. He doesn't just say, live this kind of life, obey me and follow me, and not give us the means by which to do so. That's an encouragement to me because there are moments in my life where I know what God wants me to do, and I know what my feelings are saying I can't do, and yet he gives me the ability to, what, obey. And today we're going to talk about what it looks like on the other side of transition. What it looks like on the other side of transition. We're going to read out of Joshua chapter 8, verses 30 through 35. Now, normally, I, we would all read together, but for the sake of you guys, I'm going to read it 
myself, but let's all stand out of reverence to God's word as I read this text to us. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stone upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he, talking about Joshua, wrote on the stone a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who had carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in the front of Mount Gerizim, half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read the word of the law, the blessings and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. And we thank you that you've given us reminders of how we ought to respond to your deliverance. God, I pray that as we walk in, in a, a time of, of already experiencing the deliverance of God and yet not yet quite being there in other respects, that we would be constantly in a place of bringing, bringing to remembrance your deliverance, worshiping you, and walking in obedience as we are, are in a place of in transition and yet somehow out of transition, God, would you make us a people who will walk in worship, in sacrifice, and in obedience. God, we thank you for your salvation in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the ultimate deliverance that we find in his life, death, and resurrection. That through him, we have been delivered, not from Egypt, but from the weight and punishment and power of sin. And one day we will walk into the promised land outside of the presence of sin. And we will worship and we will walk in obedience. God, make us this kind of people. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. As a side note, as we, as we look at this situation... I want, to, I want us to, you don't have to look around, but I want us to consider, consider all the little people in this room. I am so glad that there are little people in this room. And I almost wish we had the middle schoolers and elementary here because here we are and Moses, not Moses, Joshua is about to, he's about to tell everyone the law. He's about to let everyone know this is what God has said and who is in the presence. It says in verse 35, commanded all of these things in, before the assembly and the women and the little ones and the sojourners. Everyone was there. Foreigners, friends, family, adults, children. I mean, it was, it was probably, a, it, was, it, it wasn't quiet. And that's okay. Because God loves his people and his people include his little people. So, 
I want us to think about this moment. Now, I, I skipped ahead. Last week we were in chapter 5, and here we are in chapter 8. Between chapter 5 and chapter 8, we see that Israel goes up against Jericho. Right? Last week we talked about this man, this commander of the army of the Lord, who, who gives Joshua the strategy by which he will defeat Jericho. And you know what the strategy is? It's not, well, you're going to get your artillery, and they're going to go in the back, and you're going to kind of flank it, and, and we'll set fire to some of the bricks. And it, No, he's like, you're going to walk around it seven times. It's over seven days, and the, the seventh day, you're going to go a few more times, and then you guys are going to, um, you're going to yell and break some pots, and that's going to bring, that's going to bring it down, but that, that was, the, that was the, the strategy of God, and how often does the strategy and plan of God not look like your plan and my plan, but that's his intention because he wants to be able to say, you know what, I'm great, because he is great, because our tendency so often is to look at the victories that God makes for us and say, you know what, I'm great. Right? It's, it's, like, it's like the kid who, who's about to get in a fight at school and, and he, he's talking to the other kid, maybe the bully or whatever, and kind of squares up. And the kid looks, you know, the bully looks and he's about to square up himself and then he gets scared and runs off. And, and the little kid's like, yeah, only to find out that the principal's behind him. Right? That, that's our life. We have the principle constantly coming up and, and the temptation to say, I'm great, instead of saying, God, you are great. As we, as we look at this, this section, I want to ask the question, is the gospel, is the good news of God's deliverance for us that, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins in our place, that good news, is that a starting point? Or is that the hub around which our life revolves? I'm kind of giving you the answer. But, but is it a starting point, or is it, is it the hub around which our lives revolve? Now, I think many of us would say, oh, Pastor Eddie, I know it's not a starting point. I know that our whole life revolves around the gospel, about, around what God has done. But we live our lives like it's a starting point. We live our lives and we say to people, you know what, I've already heard that. Let me get to the deeper teachings of God. And, and here we are in, in Joshua, and what do we see but that God is having them read the law once again. God is having them read the law once again. So they have defeated Jericho. They've defeated another enemy called Ai, A-I, and they have come to a place called Shechem, which kind of sits between two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And this was a place where, where Abraham had experienced God, and it was, it was a unique location. And God had promised through Moses that they would, they would do this kind of rededication moment. That what, what we see here is what's called a, a covenant renewal. God had made a covenant. A covenant is a, it's a, it's more than a contract, and it's, it's ratified in blood. So it's, it's an agreement between two peoples, usually a greater, per, a greater people and a lesser people, in this case, God Almighty and the people of Israel. But it's not signed with DocuSign, right? Um, it, it's signed in blood. So there's a sacrifice that is made. And in Joshua, or it's not Joshua, in Deuteronomy chapter 27, 
Moses, is, as he's preparing the people of God, as he's, he's saying, this is what's going to happen as you enter into the promised land, he says this, now Moses and the elders were commanding the people, keep the whole commandment that I command to you today. And on, on the day that you cross over the Jordan, or, or in the time, the, the period in which you cross over the Jordan, to the land that the Lord the, your God is giving you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster, and you shall write on them all the words of the, lo- the law when you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you a land flowing with milk and honey as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. And, as, and when you cross over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I command you today on Mount Ebal, and you shall plaster them with plaster, and you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall, not wield, you shall wield no iron tool on them, right? We, we heard that in our section. Uh, stones that have not been cut by tools. You shall offer burnt, offer burnt offerings on it, you shall, you shall sacrifice peace offerings and shall eat there. And you shall write on the stones all the word of this law very plainly. And he goes on and he says, verse 11, That day Moses charged the people, When you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simon, or the, the people of Simeon, Levi, Judah, uh, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. So he said, These clans will go stand over here and declare the blessings of God. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal to declare the curses, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Nep- uh, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall declare to all men some additional curses. So sounds a little strange. This is not how we run church. But this was a covenant renewal moment. In other words, this was a moment to say, okay, guys, you have come into the promised land. You've come into the things that I, the Lord your God, have promised that you would receive and in this moment, I want you to remember what I have called you to do, right? Remember, if you were tracking before they crossed the Jordan, God had called them to some sorts of obedience. He had called them up to some things and he had made some promises. I will be with you. I'm giving this land to you. This is another moment in which God is calling them to remember. You know, if, if, if you somehow came to church if you're new, you're, you're off the hook here. But if you come to church before and you've somehow missed me say it, you have to read your Bible every day. Because we're forgetful people, I have to read my Bible every day. I've got an app on my phone, got little check marks. Some of them are missing. I'm behind. But I'm reading my Bible as much as I can every day. Because we need to remember. There, there are several places, if you go back, I would encourage you to read Joshua. There are several places where Joshua, this is not the only place where he sets up an altar or a set of stones. Right? As they cross the Jordan, they set up some stones. He, he's going to have other moments where he sets up these memorial stones where he remembers. And there are multiple places where he reminds the people of the, the commands of God. Moses had told the parents of Israel, tell your children about the commands of God. Have it on your forehead, have it on your arm, get it in your household, all over the place, remember. So here they're, they're in a covenant renewal where they're being called up to remember and to respond. And we have one group of people over here, another group of people over here, they're, they're remembering and they're calling out the blessings and the curses of the covenant. Now that sounds weird, right? We don't, we don't think about that because we're under a new covenant. But in the Mosaic Covenant, there were blessings for their obedience, and there were curses for their disobedience. And in, in this style of covenant, 
A covenant was an actual like document and it was an actual literary style. And, and it had a, a preamble which kind of introduced, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, right? Who am I? What is my relationship to you? It had stipulations. This is how you are to live. You should have no other gods before you, right? You shall not make an image. You shall not, you know, do this, dot, dot, dot. You shall not covet, right? This is the Ten Commandments. Stipulations. It had curses for disobedience and blessings for obedience. This was a covenant, and this is what they were doing. They were acting out this covenant renewal. And as they're doing this, they're responding to what God has done. Right? They, they have stepped into the promised land, and they're responding to what God has done. Now, we look at this, and, and for a while as I was thinking about this, I, I just, I was struggling because I was, okay, well, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to tell my people to worship God and obey again, <laughs> right? It feels like a bit of a broken record. But, but then I thought about another instance where God had brought the people of Egypt out of, out of Egypt, the people of Israel out of Egypt, Right, this is shortly after God has brought the people out of Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've experienced what? Deliverance. They may not have experienced all of the transition, and they may not have been brought in all the way to the promised land, but they've tasted and seen that the Lord was good, that he was great, that he was powerful. They have experienced his miraculous power to, to split the Red Sea. And, in, and you, think, you would think, you know, if I had been there, Man, that would be enough for me to be on board. But here's what happens. Moses goes and has an extended conversation with God. And parents, you know this to be the case, that when you go, and maybe you go and talk to your spouse about, you know, what you're going to do for dinner, or, you know, you go to a separate room to talk quietly. If you're gone for too long, it gets quiet, and then something gets set on fire. I mean, maybe not like that. Maybe, maybe not that drastically, but, but it can get, when the parents are away... <laughs> The children have idle hands. And here's what happened. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down, this is Exodus 32. The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So Aaron said, Take off your rings of gold that are in. This is his older brother, right? Totally selling him out. Take off your ring. Aaron, I'm going to leave you in charge. Please keep things good. He's like, oh, no problem. I'll do that. Absolutely. Take off your rings of gold that are in all the ears of your wives and the sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off their rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from, the, from their hands and fashioned it with a graving tool to make a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Right? Like two verses before, they had said that Moses brought them up out of the land of Egypt. But here they're saying, these are your gods. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow we shall be a feast to the Lord. But he's not talking about Yahweh the Lord. He's talking about this calf. In, in, in the matter of what was... Uh, 40, late, 40 days. And sometime in that time frame, while Moses is out on Mount Sinai, this ridiculousness happens. And, and it sounds ridiculous on paper, but this is, the, this is the idiocy of sin. 
And, and I love you, family, but we do this. I worship the Lord my God, absolutely. But then Monday happens. And all of a sudden, you know what? Patience is not something that's required of me. You know? God, I know you tell me not to slander, but have you met my coworkers? God, I know, I know you tell me to be patient in, in anger. Do not sin, but, but you did give me that spouse. And my children, you, you've met them, right? I mean, you said that, the, that, that we inherit sin, so it's really their fault. We do this. We, we supplant God as our God and, and put ourselves in his place. Put our own desires, our own goals in his place. And, and this, was a, this was a premeditated, it was a thought out, slow commitment to idolatry. Right? This wasn't a like, in a second, everyone's like, ah, we're going to make this mistake. It wasn't a mistake. Sin is not a mistake, as a side note. Please don't call it a mistake. Sin, sin is an intentional decision on your part to disobey. A mistake is like not filling in the scantron right. That's a mistake. It's not carrying the one. That, that's a mistake. It's not saying, you know what, God tells me to do this, but I'm going to do this other thing. So they, they, it's a large group of people, and they spend the, tam- the time it takes for them to take out these, these, these gold rings, and he takes the time it takes to, I assume, smelt it, to, to melt down the, met- the metal, and then shape it out of the block of metal that it once was into a calf, which I'm not a good, like, I've done some, some clay work with my kids, and, and it takes time for me to make a poor calf. So depending upon, like this was, they had committed to this. Let's just jump into this. Why do I bring this up? Because in Joshua chapter 8, my temptation, my temptation and maybe your temptation is to look at this and say, okay, God, I get it. Ten commandments, your, your commands, your, your, my responsibility to obey. I get it. Let's get on to the other stuff. But I promise you, family, that underneath that is a deep susceptibility to idolatry. These people had seen the Red Sea parted. And in a moment, they were going to say, you know what, that God, not that impressive. I don't even know if he did that. I mean, that's the kind of delusion that sin creates. See, sin is, is this, it's this inward bent in our own soul that is so willing to believe a lie. So willing to believe a lie. And that is why I have to read my Bible every day because I need to be reminded of the truth every day. That was their response in Exodus chapter 32 was idolatry. I I highlight that because that's our alternative. We have two choices. We can obey and worship or we can do We can create an idol. And that is always the temptation that's before us. So how do they respond? Thankfully, they they built an altar and they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And, and, And they worshiped God. If you want to fight sin... If you see sin in your own life, if you see uh, an area where you just keep struggling, 
unforgiveness, anger, you know, depression, which depression isn't necessarily sin, but, but there might be underlying lies that you're believing. Um, lust, uh, infidelity, uh, violence, whatever it is in your soul. You don't just fight sin by saying no to sin. You fight sin by saying yes to God. You worship. You know, there's a song that my wife and I have been enjoying by a guy named Phil Wickham talking about the battle belonging to the Lord. And, you know, especially when I was in my 20s, I used to listen to some, some heavier music, uh, some, some metal and I just thought it would be so awesome if I was in like God's army and there was like a guy in the back like screaming, ah, and we were carrying spears and just walking down, marching like, you know, da, 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 drums, and then we're fighting our enemies. But the reality is that, that war is over. <laughs> as cool as it would be for us to be awesome, the reality is God is awesome. And he's won the victory. And so we're called to remember his victory. They worship. They worship. But not only do they worship, they, they remember and they obey God's word. It says, And all Israel, as well as the native-born with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Lord. Who, and the ark represented the presence and power of God. So the, the, the ark was right in the middle. You, you had the people of God on the sides. You had the, the, the official... Uh, priests around the ark and they were doing exactly what God had commanded through Moses to, to pronounce blessing and curse and, and, and everyone was saying to one another, remember God's word. I mean, it must have been a powerful moment. This wasn't a moment where you were unwillingly going to church and some guy was talking from the front you're like, oh, okay, yeah. No, every, everyone was involved, right? This is a, a full, you know, congratulations, you have all been... Uh, 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 deputized to be worship leaders, right? And, and everyone's, and, and Bible teachers, or at least Bible rememberers, and, and we're all saying these things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you're like, and back and forth. And it, it must have been really powerful. You know, there have been times in, in our worship service where we're all singing and, and maybe the, the, the music drops out and it's just the voices and you just hear everyone in concert Worshiping God. They worshiped and they remembered. And it says in verse 34, and afterwards he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse according to all that is written in the book of the law. You think that me reading six verses is boring. This would have been a challenge. <laughs> and they were, but, but this was the way, one of the ways that, that the word of God was, was passed down, right? They didn't have, you know, ESV.org. They didn't have um, um, Craig Rochelle and, and his apps. version. There we are. They had to remember the word of God, right? This was their literature. This was their history. This was everything to them, and they had memorized it. And they, well, hopefully they'd memorized it. This was a requirement for learning, and, and they spoke the word back to one another. They remembered the word, so much so that verse 35 says, there was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. They remembered God's word. 
and they spoke God's word. A, a week ago, I, or I guess it was two weeks ago, I talked about, and it was over here in my brain, um, the stack of stones, right? They crossed over the Jordan, and they, they built this stone monument. And the stone monument was there for two reasons. It was there for them to remember, but not just to remember. It was there for them to remind their children. And here they are again in this rededication, this covenant renewal, where they're called to remember and to remind. Now, what does this have to do with us? We don't have a a Mount Ebal or a Mount Gerizim. We don't have the Ark of the Covenant. But we do have the privilege of celebrating our deliverance. In, I've quoted it again, but maybe, maybe we'll all memorize it by this, by this point. In, in Colossians chapter 1, Paul, Paul describes our situation and he says this, he, talking about God, has delivered us. Right? That's that same language. Right? When you read in the New Testament deliverance, the writers of the New Testament read into it all the baggage of the Old Testament idea of deliverance, right? Exodus is given to us to help us understand Colossians. So all these ideas of God drawing his people out, of God paying for his people to come, of God destroying the enemies of his people, these are all the ideas that God wants us to think about when when we hear the word deliverance. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We too are walking in a promised land. Now, we're, we're in this interesting period of, of we have walked and received God's promises, we are in God's promised land, and yet we have not yet experienced all the fulfillments of God's blessing. And, and we're in what's called the, the already, not yet season of life. Already, not yet. Because we've already received God's salvation. We've already received his blessing of of defeating the power of sin. But we've not yet received the the blessing of being removed from the presence of sin. So we're in this tension in which we are out of transition and yet in transition. And sometimes we feel the in transition more. And other times we feel the blessings and the the confirmation of, that we are, we are in the kingdom of his beloved son. And in this moment, just like the Israelites, we have two options. We can either choose to create our own idols or we can choose to worship and remember and obey our God. You know, what's interesting is that we have, and, and I kind of wish I'd done this last week, but, but we have in the Lord's Supper a covenant renewal moment. Because what is that moment? It's a moment to remember blood that was shed and that blood ratified a a covenant between God and his people that he would forgive them of their sins, that he would give them a new heart, that he would fill them with his spirit and that they would obey him. Now, it's a different kind of covenant than the Mosaic covenant. The Mosaic covenant the covenant that we're talking about in, in Joshua was, is what's called a, a conditional covenant. It's conditioned on the obedience of the people. If they obey, they get blessing. If they disobey, they get curses. Now, we have the privilege of receiving an unconditional new covenant where our faith in God 
means that God has, he's, he's accomplished it all. We don't have to worry about whether we receive curses because of our disobedience because Jesus bore the curse on the cross. And we have the promise of every blessing being for us because Jesus fulfilled all righteousness. Because of his life and death and resurrection, our covenant renewal is, is a little different. But every time we come together and we, we drink the wine or grape juice and we, we eat the bread, it's a reminder and it's an opportunity to recommit our souls, our hearts to God and to obey him. As we, as we get to a close, Paul writes this amazing letter to the Romans and, it, and it's really, it, it does a number of things, but it's in part intended to provide the Romans with his gospel. Right? When, when Paul talks about the gospel, he doesn't just talk about the gospel. He talks about my gospel, the gospel that he received, the good news that, that he received from Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. And, and verses or chapters 1 through 12 are really, or 1 through 11 are really this kind of exposition of the gospel, right? They're, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but, but there is salvation through the free gift of, of grace in Jesus Christ. Jesus is... is the one who came, he's like Adam in that uh, in Adam all sinned and all died, but in Jesus Christ, all who follow and receive him have life and, and forgiveness. He expounds all these things, and then in chapter 12, he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see, we stand at a covenant renewal every day. Loosely speaking, don't tell any of my professor friends because I think they disagree, but we stand in an opportunity every day to present worship to our God, our, our bodies, our minds, our, our energy as worship to either God or a golden calf of some sort. And Paul calls us and he says, if you believe Jesus Christ died for your sins, if you have received deliverance, if you've experienced the blessings of God, if you can look at your, your, your stack of stones and say, this is what God did, then today, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. Just like the Israelites, we have an opportunity to worship and we have an opportunity to obey. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? If you don't want to memorize the Ten Commandments, just memorize those two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. I started with this question, is the gospel a starting point or is it, is it a, a hub around which our, our lives revolve? If I'm right that we're living in this already not yet season of being in transition and yet out of transition, then we're always in a place of needing to remember the gospel. We're always in a place of needing to remind ourselves of what Jesus Christ has done. We're always in a place of needing to choose between the golden calf of my own personal desires, my job, this relationship, whatever your calf is, or obedience to God. And we're always experiencing the blessings of his presence and his power. And we're always given opportunities to worship him for it.
Family, if you're in transition, if you're in a season of turmoil, if you're in the middle of of not yet here and not yet there, let me encourage you to think back to the, the monuments that God has given you. To recognize that though he has called you up, he has promised to be with you. And that when you step into what God has brought you into, you're going to have an opportunity to remember, to worship, and to obey. And to walk in the purposes that God has made you to walk in. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you, you love us and you express that love by your, your sovereign care over our lives that you've expressed it in your son, Jesus Christ, who, who became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. God, I thank you that you've shown us your love for us in forgiving us of our sins and sending your son, Jesus Christ, to bear the punishment that we deserve. God, I thank you that you've shown us your love by being faithful to each of us in the middle of transition by even giving us a vision of what the future could look like. Some of you are in this room and you don't have a vision of what the future could look like. Maybe maybe you would describe that situation as being hopeless. Maybe you would describe your situation as being depressed or, or being uncertain, being unsure. And if that's you, I just want to pray for you. God, I pray that you would give us a vision of your faithfulness from your word and from our previous experiences that would allow us to hope. God, we thank you that you're the God of hope, that you're the living God, and that we can hope. If today you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, but you want to commit your life to him, if you want to trust in Jesus, I'd love to pray with you if you just raise your hand. If you're online, you can just let one of our hosts know. There's nothing magical in prayer. It's not an incantation. It doesn't force God to do anything, but it's a response to what God is doing in your heart. If that's you, you can just pray this with me. God, I want to turn away from everything I know to be sin, disobedience, and I want to turn to you. I want to trust in you to give me purpose, to give me direction, to give me meaning, to give me forgiveness, to give me hope, to lead me. Jesus, would you lead my life? Family, I love you, and I look forward to being in transition with you.